Alrighty, before you witness us into Valhalla, uh, do go and watch the movie Mad Max Fury Road before the podcast if you haven't seen it. This is the spoiler warning. Uh, otherwise, let's get right ahead to the pod. You lost a podcast intro. Perfect in every way. I had a podcast intro. I had a little baby podcast intro. And it was perfect. Perfect in every way. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive. Gordon, you were just Shay was just 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 frothing about the frothy that he's got in front of him. Um. <laughs> What's the uh, oh? We could have called the podcast "Frothies in Films." <laughs> hey, fourteen episodes in, we've got our got our uh, intro. 15, fourteen or fifteen? I can't remember if this is. A, I should know, really. I've never known, even by the time of the second one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, this is the Pints and Popcorn podcast, back with you, um, you know, predictably with pints on the podcast. I am currently drinking More a nice pints. Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm drinking a, po- uh, drinking a, I, I was about to say drinking a podcast, so this has started incredibly well. Um, I'm drinking a nice coffee to wake myself up, and then I've got a couple of pints sitting next to me ready to go, um, because we're again film, filming podcasting oh boy <laughs> we are, yeah 
We're going incredibly well. Um, yeah, podcasting at 11.30 my time, um, or 11.45 actually, uh, and in the morning, Shay's time. So Shay's taking one for the team again, doing some morning drinking. I'm going to be doing some nighttime drinking. I think I'm more awake than you are, though. Yeah, so. I think, yeah. <laughs> Man, work, you know. I want to go. I want to go back into lockdown. <laughs> we have opened up. Yeah. We have opened up back down here, and the place has never been busier. And people are forgetting that pandemic ever existed, even though it still exists. And it's weird. Weird times. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just imagining them like the people at the bottom of uh, the encamp the the in- encampment. Of the film we're doing today, I can't. Is it the Citadel? Is that what they call yeah, it? Yeah, that's what they call it. Yeah, yeah. Which it's not a Citadel at all. <laughs> it's just, it's just, just some rocks. I, I mean, what is a Citadel to the people of the wasteland? <laughs> wow. It's just like the same way that a gecko is probably like a hot dog. So <laughs> a two-headed gecko. <laughs> is it? Yeah, like the one at the start. Yeah, it turns its head and it's got like two heads. Uh, so he's putting it out of its misery. <laughs> uh, is it like, a two-headed cricket later? I don't know. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's got two heads, including Nux, yeah. Nux's little tumors. Um, if oh, we haven't... If we haven't <laughs> these are me mates. They're not little. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if it hasn't already been made obvious, we are doing Mad Max Fury Road today. Uh, the 2015 uh, film that blew us all out of the water as, a, as an action film and is now regarded as one of the greatest action films of all time and is in a lot of... Uh, it pops up in a lot of best of the 2010s lists as well just as a as a film that really, you know, for an action film, it probably is the best one of the decade and uh, and really captured a lot of people across a lot of broad spectrums um if they weren't into these kind of films it's still because i mean even you've you said off air like every time you go into watching it you're like you know you you come out of it remembering why you enjoyed it so much um surprisingly and uh yeah it's just one of those you know it stands alone really well um and as well as just adding some lore to the kind of mad max world that that people are there into the other films really enjoy as well. So, um, and reinvigorated something that obviously was moving away from the star that, um, was part of the original trilogy of films, so to speak. And, um, and introduced us to another, um, heroine that could, uh, go on to be, uh, <laughs> production issues aside and legal wranglings with, uh, <laughs> Warner brothers aside that unfortunately George Miller's going through at the moment that has delayed any future sequels to this film, which I think we're all looking forward to. I was hoping we'd see one within a couple, oh, of, definitely. couple of years after that one. And, um, yeah, rumours are still flying that we'll get a Furiosa one. Um, but, yeah, there's some legal things going on with George Miller apparently owed $7 million or something like that from... Yeah, <laughs> they went way over budget. Yeah. <laughs> but it was worth it, obviously. But yeah. I would do, like, a throwback film throwback a prequel <laughs> um for furiosa and just how like the citadel came to be mm-hmm. as well as um max you know what's what's his deal you know i mean they they hinted uh i don't know if i was supposed to see the other three films before this if they really tie in but obviously the stuff that haunts max yeah um you know we don't really understand what any of that is i mean you have you think that he was probably like the leader of a tribal little unit and he totally 
messed up somehow you don't <laughs> but you just don't know how so i'd like yeah give me all the prequels because there's yeah. so many interesting storylines well max does have yeah there is a fair bit of history to his character with the further first film um I guess I'll put a spoiler warning at the front end for all of them. Not that I've seen. I haven't seen, like I said to you, off air. I haven't seen Thunderdome in years. Uh, and even The Road Warrior, which is the one that really kicked off in the US and made everyone fall in yeah. love with the character. But, um, but the first... Are you supposed to be that character? What's that? Is he supposed to be that character? Like Mel Gibson's character? Yeah, it's Max Rockestancy is his character name, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, I thought it was just two different Maxes. No, no, is... it's the same character. Yeah, it's the same character, yeah. Um, you can, it's it's interesting. It would be interesting actually doing a time like as when you watch the first film is like when right when society's breaking down, like the laws kind of, laws kind of falling apart. Like um, it is definitely, it, and the first film just opens up just with uh, a few years from now as a as a pretext to it. Um, yeah, know. I was gonna ask you how far are we away from this movie? Like five, ten years? Yeah, yeah, I think the I Water think Wars. We might we might be at the. Um, the, the original Mad Max right now. <laughs> We're at um, the start. <laughs> yeah. And uh yeah, and then the bomb goes off at some point after that. Um yeah, that's so uh, the first film he he has a wife and kid. Um the kid is just known as Sprog in the uh <laughs> in the film. Uh very, very Australian. Literally Australian, yeah. literally Australian slang for a kid. So yeah, they just they just don't never name the kid <laughs> it's just Sprog. But uh, yeah, he's he the first. What one. do we call a sprog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first film was Max in the when he's still in the police force, but he's like become disillusioned with it, and the, the police keep on um, enticing him back to stay on the force because he keeps trying. No, to that's lethal weapon. No. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps trying to quit. He keeps trying to quit. Which um, the car that he gets that he he wrecks at the start of Fury Road. Uh, is one of the things that they keep him on board with is like you know giving him one of the last of the V8s as his um, road vehicle. Uh, but uh, he gets himself tied up with a motorcycle gang that's um, wreaking havoc across the plains, and um, and that gang comes after him and kills his kid and wife eventually, and that's what kind of set. And then he goes on a revenge. And then the end of the end of the first film is him killing the last one of those ones, and then he rides off into the sunset as Mad Max, I guess you could say. And then it goes on to Road Warrior, which is you know, post post apocalyptic wasteland, um, Marauders looking for oil, and yeah, and then Thunderdome, and then this one. So, yeah, gasoline. Yeah, gasoline. Uh, <laughs> the way Charlize says it um, is so South African at one point. Like gasoline. <laughs> like I don't know. It's like how if you actually pronounce her last name the right way, you have to like do something with your mouth that like. Americans aren't used to. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like gasoline. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Moving on. That's not a important note of the film. <laughs> that's not something I'd picked up. So yeah, I'll have to listen. To it's that like midway time. through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the guy with the fake nose says gasoline weird too. But the guy with the fake nose. Yeah, when he's listing off all the things they've lost. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, John Howard's gasoline. Yeah, yeah. I think he has a fake nose. He has something. Like, he has just something on his nose. So whether it's a yeah, it could be a. Fake he also nose. has pierced nips <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, he's just rubbing at one point. Yeah, the, the production design of this movie is really great. That's yeah. Won the won the Oscar for uh, costumes. Yeah. So. Yeah, and deservedly so. I think. Um, 
It's one of the things that uh, when you're watching it, I watched a lot of special features on my my, my Blu-ray disc last night, and um, some really good behind the scenes featurettes that go like there's probably an over an hour of stuff that um, I've kind of watched through, covering different aspects of the film from like uh, con- uh, concept creation right through to stunts and all that stuff. But yeah, just the amount of time and effort that went into you know costumes and. And like they just took this vision of that, the you know obviously George Miller is the creative mind behind all the films, and then uh, a few others that kind of worked on him with developing the story and the s- and and the script and all that. Um, y- the cars were fantastic, you know, and they they really built like all these things were fully functioning vehicles with um, whether whether we're talking about the they call it the Doof wagon on the uh, in the special features, the guy on the guitars and the. Yeah, that's all functioning. That was a functioning guitar with a functioning flamethrower in it, and <laughs> it's unreal. Yeah, probably didn't have. Yeah, uh, Zoe Kravitz said that in the uh, the oral history, which is a good read on New York Times um, that came out a while ago. Um, but she said that like everything you see is real. There's no green screens, which mm-hmm. is like it's easy to see why they went over budget and it took forever. Yeah, because it's like you're working with. A- I'm sure that stuff breaks down too. Like even if it's like. You're living in like a desert wasteland. Like they're actually living there for nine months. Like, yeah. Road Kravitz also said they like started to go insane by the end of it because you're just like in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Just. And I guess Tom Hardy and Charlize like both like had it out with George Miller on the set and yeah. stuff. But if you think like they were both like very grateful to Miller though afterwards. And Hardy was young back then in 2012, you know, eight years ago. Mm. He wasn't as experienced it's amazing how long this film took to come out after it right yeah because it was like we talked off air about how it was supposed to star mel gibson still and Mm. i'm very glad it didn't because it deserved a heroic lead yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) deserved an actor that we can say that we like (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Um, tom hardy said that it was in the um special features as well tom hardy said that he often didn't see the vision that George Miller, right. George Miller had while he was on set, but then once he once he saw the film completed at the uh, premiere, he um, talked to George and said, um, he kind of apologized and said, you know, I see see where we're going with this now, which is just amazing, you know, because you you know you see films on the big screen, and I mean we'll get into the story of it later, but the production of this movie is really a fascinating thing. Um, you see a film on the big screen, it's all like everything's come together and it's nice and stuff. And but it's when you watch the special features and read the oral history that you've brought up, uh, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, about how these films come about and how like the creative process and how the trouble the troubles of making a film like this, it's amazing how it comes together in such a way. But it's a testament to the vision and the creativity of the people that were on the ground making this thing work, whether it be the guys building the cars or the guys making a fully functioning guitar flamethrower or the ones that were just choreographing because all these all these um crashes were choreographed i mean the stunt guys were just nuts like there was one guy that worked on the original mad max films but the the car roll at the start where you set off air that you, you don't know how max survived it um, right yeah. they that was a choreo that was a choreographed role where he wanted to break the record of how many times they could like do a t-bone crash where you'd you tee the car into the ground and have it then roll o- end over like roll side over side kind of roll and he wanted to he was like yeah we're gonna we're gonna do like the most rolls in a crash like this that you can do 
And it's just like, and they, and then they would practice it and practice it and like work out how to hit the right point to have a roll like that. And, and, and so, you know, crashing a car may sound like just a, we just crash it and see what happens, which is kind of what they did in the first Mad Max. <laughs> and it worked. Come along. Um, yeah. But, you know, these guys actually really, like, they had to crash it the right way. Like, even when, um, in a scene where Nux uh, sacrifices himself and blocks the pass, um, they had to, there's a really great um, special feature about that with a guy, the guy's in the truck doing that. Like, they, he's all in a full fire retardant suit and in a protective, like, little bubble inside the thing. But he has to lock the wheels and hit them. And they said that he just hit it exactly right. Like, they planned it and planned it. And, hope, and obviously, they hoped it would go. But he... They said that the the point that he got the truck into was just exactly to this you know centimeter where they wanted it to be, and it's just like all these people doing that kind of work is uh you know stunt work and that kind of work on a set is just so difficult and takes a team of dedicated people to do. And um, it needs I, to be honored by the academy. Honestly. I was just about like, to say that. Yeah, this is why we're in a podcast together. <laughs> yeah, but if Clint, uh, Cliff Booth. Cliff Booth yeah. doesn't show it, then yeah, you definitely need that. That is one of my biggest, um, not problems, but like, I don't like it in the film is like, I think it's going to age poorly, I guess is my big thing is the guitar and the steering wheel kind of like, you know, I get it. I get why they did it, but like, cause the guitar is obviously like one of the most memorable things mm-hmm. in the film. Well, it's like just like have those like you don't need to put them like right in front of the screen and like I know the audience is dumb, but like a little more subtlety in it could have been I think a better shot. Wait, I'm trying to figure out what you mean. Wait, what? Oh, so when <laughs> when, it, when it fly when the crash happens? Yeah, that when was that was the... that was for the 3D stuff, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 3D, I think, is a failed concept, and I think we should stop trying to do it. But, yeah. you know, that's a whole di- until it's better. But I get – so I guess I get that. And I didn't yeah. see it in theaters, so maybe it was cooler there. But I just don't think that's going to – I think you could still have done it and not su- – like, more subtly, I guess. Yeah. I think point. that was a style. But it's not a subtle film. Yeah, it was a stylistic <laughs> choice, I guess. Yeah, it's not – yeah, luckily it's not something that fundamentally changes anything. It's just an explosion. No, it's – yeah, that – yeah. It doesn't change my opinion of it. I just don't think it's going to, like... You know, you watch, like, an action movie from, like, the 80s and, like, some of the stuff that they were doing back then was like, whoa, and now you look at it and you're like, that ain't it. (laughs) So I think that might be, like, the one scene in this where it's, like... Because they did have to, like, CGI that, Mm. obviously, because you can't fling a guitar perfectly or a steering wheel. Mm. But, yeah. I didn't even think about the 3D thing. Yeah, well my 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 Blu-ray disc has actually got the 3D disc in there as well, which I don't have a 3D TV or anything like that, so I've never watched it in 3D. I Who did. would have a 3D TV? Uh, well, I was about to say I have watched Mad Max Fury Road in 3D at Sam Harding's house with his projector. So, <laughs> of course, the answer is always Sam Harding, <laughs> the original Mad Max. <laughs> uh, really, it's really good in three, like, because he's got the like. Four, like the 4K projector and all that stuff, and it just it looks like in 3D. It's really beautiful to watch because it's kind of everything's just and, and you know a lot of it's just subtle 3D. It's not like it's you know it's not like those. I don't. Crazy. It's just not. Yeah. It hurts my head. 
Yeah, they're drinking on top of it, and it's just like yeah. Well, we were sufficiently drunk enough that it was like fine. Like it's just like well, if you're sufficiently drunk enough, it's 3D on its own. So (laughs) yeah, we were drinking um, fat little lambs or little little fat lambs or whatever. It's like this. It's like alcoholic soda that's sold in soda bottles for like almost the price of soda in Australia, and and it's like 10% alcohol, and it's just it's all it's they've been trying to ban it here because it's just like it's encouraging no shit and it's just like it's encouraging kids to drink and me and sam are like yes it is <laughs> you guys drink at 18 so kids are already drinking yeah like, yeah andre andre had to pull over on the side of the road like five minutes away from my house once when i was driving we were driving back from the hardings well sam's house <laughs> Oh, I, went, no. I had a bunch of little fat lambs and i was like i was like just singing away in the car i was like whoop i gotta throw up and I was, she just pulled over and i was just like Yak, oh, I thought you were gonna say she was the one that had to throw. Up. I'm glad it's a story no, about no, you. It was, it was, her. It was, I was like, her. that would be airing. Yeah, no, no, it was her driving me. Andrea on you. No, no, Andrea. Yeah, that's she, she's close. just singing and then barfing. Yeah, that's that's pints and popcorn. Yeah, she'd often we drive past the same spot, like because it's just on a like really close to our home. She's like, yeah, you remember that? And I'm like, yeah, that's where I threw up. <laughs> Such a fun little memory. Anyway, that was the night that we watched Mad Max in 3D. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that was, maybe that was maybe that was it. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, back to the production of the film was. Um, I I'm a I'm a like I'm not a rev head car guy, but I enjoy cars and. You're a car of, guy. Yeah, the the cars in this movie are really like because there's a lot of you know the, they look out of this world, but they're all uh, you know real body shapes, old Cadillacs and. Um, just for the lights, basically, like welded yeah. on to it. Then, like, in the, yeah. Yeah. But then Lord Humongous, in those night scenes. Yeah. Lord Humongous's car is like two Cadillac bodies to- on top of each other. And they said that right, it yeah. was very deliberate design that they, they, they're like, you know, how the person who can have everything, like, he's going to have two of them stacked on top of each other is kind of his, you know. Calling code. Yeah. And because his, his car on the road is basically his throne because it's like a moving throne. So they made it. Yeah, it was yeah. really cool how they. And there's a car on a tank. Yeah, like there's like a tank bottom, but it has a car on it, which yeah. So yeah, which was a real fun. And just like and again, really functioning ahead. like the the tank. Yeah. Was like oh, the special features was them like building the tank and then testing it out in the parking lot. Like one guy's just ripping donuts in this little tank while a bunch of people standing around watching him as he's testing it, and then and then they throw the car body on it and make sure it works, and then yeah, put it in the movie. Like yeah, a lot of work went into these these things like you know people literally building cars for a movie um this will be a small thing too but like at the start of the film like it really grabs you right away but it feels like it seems like george miller speeds it up like not a lot but just like almost like one or two percent on the edit bay Mm -hmm. and it just makes it seem more frantic it's just really good like that might not be production it's more like in the that's film editing but like it's still part of the production Mm -hmm. of like getting you in the right mindset for this this world that you're going to be in it and you notice it because it's so like it's hard for the actors lines to kind of sync up with their their mouths but that's not what you're really i mean i've seen it a few times now so that's what i was paying attention to that's Mm -hmm. how i kind of noticed it but it really like helps it early on i think yeah yeah, especially like when they're carrying tom hardy like through like the cavern or wherever he's going to go to be a blood bag like Mm -hmm. That's sped up. And when he's trying to escape, that's sped up too. It's just like, yeah, obviously. And the score is obviously really well done. But Yeah, yeah. So. I think it was uh, 
Junkie XL is the official DJ. I don't know if it's a DJ name or whatever it is, but he's the one that did the uh, the score, which was uh, really good. Um, apparently, George Miller saw uh, the second 300 movie, Rise of Empire, which I I enjoyed both of the 300 movies there. Again, I've so never seen that one. Um, it's it's really good. It's like the battle of um, it's a sea battle that they beat the Persians at. Finally, like I can't try and think of the name of it, but anyway, it's really good. But he. He did the score for that, and George Miller really enjoyed that because there was a few big like Zuma. Zuma was attached to Fury Road at one point, and a few others. But um, yeah, I'm sure everyone was attached to that film at one yeah, point. This, this guy, I think they said like Uma Thurman was <laughs> yeah. in the role. Of... Um, one th- I did want to say one thing about. Um, we can go back to the production, but one thing or continue on this now. It doesn't really matter. Um, I found it interesting in the oral history that both um, Tom Hardy said that Charlize stepped into Mel Gibson's shoes mm-hmm. for the film. And Charlize said that Tom Hardy stepped into Mel Gibson's shoes. Well, literally, I guess if it's the same character, I didn't yeah. know that going. But I thought it was interesting that they both said that about their roles. And I get—I don't think they really got along on set is what I'm getting from it, but because it was such a hard filming session. Mm-hmm. But just an interesting, I think it really helps the movie that they both thought the other one was the hero yeah and it helps because they both are heroes obviously yeah and that's a it's often been said about the film is that uh furios is actually kind of the central point of the film and max is just because he is he has literally just been on his own journey um to the point of and i think this is what this film is about is like max at the start of the film is at the point of madness where he's he's forgotten almost who he is as a person um, which is very poignant towards the end of the film when Furios is possibly dying, and um, you know he says, yeah. he finally says, "My name's Max," and kind of, which is like, yeah, the film's literally his journey from the point of insanity back to being um, a human, helping other humans, like remembering that there is still some humanity in this world. But yeah, I think the the, the central theme of the film really is actually Furios's journey, and um, yeah, it has been said by a lot of people, and I hadn't read that about that from the oral history, but that's really interesting that they saw each other as like, and I think that just is a testament to how uh, George Miller and the creative team created a film with two incredible heroes in the film, like the one that we obviously know as um, Max from the previous films, you know, obviously different actor, but the same character but yeah the, it's interesting miller george miller's talked about these films as like this film is almost like a, a western in the sense um you know just the cars of the horse a lot of things yeah but he <laughs> yeah and, and the mad max films somewhat take it like there is something about the the man with the no name trilogy like the sergio leone clint eastwood film from the 60s you know they they they, they the, he was the same character in every film but they kind of it was there was no connective thread otherwise it was just that he was the same character and these mad max films sometimes have that same kind of feeling you know they're very different to each other um but it's just the same character rolling through the wasteland and coming across these people and but yeah this film was what a really great marriage of two incredible uh screen heroes that we can root for and one that um you know charlie's took on the role of a a feminine hero in a very male-dominated world and um, kicked ass. And, and, re- and you know, the, the female roles in this film are really great. And, like, she she deserves her own film. And, you know, they've talked about doing a prequel with a different actress, but I really hope Charlize gets another shot. Maybe This does feel like her film, though, to me. I think she, yeah, like, very, yeah, did, very the, much is she did the best acting of yeah. anybody in it by far. I mean, 
people want to critique like Tarantino for like only giving um uh I'm blanking on her name Margo so so a few lines but like Ed Ed Hardy Tom Hardy like (laughs) Ed Hardy's a tattooer um Tom Hardy has so few lines in this that like yeah he's a good he's good in the action roles and you know he fits that part well but you know there's not the depth of range that Charlie's shows because like when she finds out that the green place is gone that's like some of like it's just a noisy like it's easy to seem like for an actor to play sad but she plays like beyond sad and distraught and angry and everything which is really good um so in many ways i do feel like it is her film and yeah and if it is a standalone film and there wasn't the history of the other mad maxes i think more people would think of it that way mm-hmm. Yeah, because i didn't know that it was supposed to be mel gibson's character <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's, inter- it's like that's what's fun about doing this episode is that you've come into this film from a standpoint of not having any history of the others whereas the original Mad Max is literally the first DVD I ever bought. Like, you know, my entire disc collection of films that I've built over the years, that is the very, very first film I bought on, on DVD. It was Mad Max when it was released um, here. So, like, it's a film I've loved for a long time, the original one. And um, But, yeah, this one, this one does stand alone, and um, that's what's great. And what they've done well is that they've been able to bring a whole new generation in. Because, obviously, you know, um, I mean... Uh, I mean, Mel Gibson's troublesome side aside, it's just, you know, when you're doing a new movie in a, in a franchise like this that doesn't have the exact connective, like, it's not like you're doing a, a Star Wars Skywalker saga film where there's so much story. There's, like, that's what was great about this is there was just a, they could just plant a story in this world with the Mad Max character um, and just see what happens, and that's what they did. And then and we were talking about it off air, but another int- really fascinating aspect to how they did this is that they storyboarded this film like uh, like a comic book um and there's some really great storyboards out. i want i want to actually somehow find like i'm sure there's an art book film collectors like storyboard book out there somewhere i'd love to get my hands on i bet um, there's a comic of it yeah. like probably. yeah they, they storyboarded <laughs> this film before they actually scripted it um you know because that's that was the most Im- not that you know, script. They the story, the storyboard is a script in a sense. It's just you know with pictures and stuff. But they they storyboarded it um, and and had basically said that every scene that you see in the film is almost you know very very accurate to the storyboards that they originally drew. And that's just a fascinating aspect of how this film came together. Is that despite all the history and story behind this character from the previous three films dating back to the late seventies and. This was a very much a, a new film, just uh, in this same world with this, you know, throwing Mad Max's character in there, and um, and then adding a new, a new wonderful character in Furiosa as well as as well as um, this uh, mythos of the the Citadel and um, you know, Immortan Joe and and the War Boys and this this disgusting world of him breeding his own little army and um, and and subjugating the people that are there because of the, the yeah, which is a whole there's a whole other discussion to be had about that the dynamic of the world yeah, there's a lot of commentary on it social yeah. commentary which is really uh-huh. it's really well done because it's it's just there it's not thrown in your face but it's just there and you can obviously draw your parallels to whatever you want to depending on what, how you feel about the world but um yeah the one thing i really respected about this movie is you know the action you know we kind of talked about how 
this might have been off air or on air, I don't know, but uh, about how action movies, you know, they kind of like they kind of follow a similar kind of like rom-coms. They kind of follow that same plot line. And so when you get an action movie that doesn't and what they did so well in this film is that they didn't make it romantic between um, Furiosa and Max. I mean, maybe a little bit. But, like, at the end, there's no happy ending there. And it's the same um, with Nux and his lady that who takes a shining to him. Which, like, even if he survives, you know, how long is that going to last? Dude's got a gigantic tumor on his neck. Um, but he mates. So there's enough, like, romance there of, like, heart. Yeah. Well, with, it's, it's, you know, um, Nux. Yeah. Yeah, it's a respect rather than a romance it's a mutual respect i think that builds between furiosa and max which is really good um because you know they talked about they talk about the bechdel test a lot in the films um i don't know what the score of this one is but that's i and i can't even re- know how to exactly describe it but the bechdel test is basically a test that runs to see if a it's if it's like two women are speaking about something that's not a man yeah and then women have in- so it passes because yeah. the seed lady they talk Mm-hmm. about killing people out there and stuff. So, yeah. I think it passes. Yeah. But and again, it's not a film rich with dialogue. Mm-hmm. You know, as our opening will show you, it took us a while. Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah the... the um, sorry, I forgot where I was going with this. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the respect... Yeah, that's where I was going. Um, Max, <laughs> Max and Furiosa, I never, I never sit there and think uh, they could have something. It's just that they build a respect for each other. And that, that moment where Max is like telling her his name and he's trying to help her survive, I think that's a moment where he's just trying to help a friend or someone that he's... A friend, like, it's like you could have that moment with a guy, like there could be a guy dying in his arms and it'll be the same kind of thing. Like it's just a mutual respect thing. There's no... There's no you know, because you know, she's... They just... They've learned to respect each other and they've worked with each other for the, through the first half of the film with, where they didn't trust each other exactly right up until the end of the film where they I- implicitly tr- trust each other because they know that both they they both share the same goal is, is getting these people back and, and obviously destroying the, um, the, the um, structure that holds them down there and, 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 and give these people their freedom. Um, so... Yeah, and that's the same, yeah, and as, same it, as Riley Keogh, Riley Keogh's character, and I can't think of what her character's name is, but um, and Nux is that they're just sharing a. It's a different kind of respect. It's, they're trying to get like understand each other and who they are, um, and find because you know, Riley, the, she's just been a breeder, uh, one of his prized breeders, and he's just a war boy, and then they're just and he's discovering everything. You know, he's kind of like a. Kind of like a kid that's come out of come out of a private Christian school and discovered that God isn't real is what what he what his journey is essentially because he's realized that this Valhalla and all this stuff is bullshit. Um, In many ways, he's Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, Nuts, <laughs> <laughs> Nuts, Rabbit. But <laughs> um, yeah, but I just think in a traditional action movie, they end up together there and you know yeah, yeah. rise up you're, you're, rise up the lift together and like they're going to be king and queen, but like. Mm-hmm. Max just like sifting through the people at the end and then just like making eye contact is like, yeah, just because it is male and female there does, it does feel a little romantic, but since they're not to get, like, they never show any signs of like wanting to be romantic towards each other that it's just a, it's just a really cool turn on it. It's just all about the action and the, <laughs> and the end, end goal, mm-hmm. which is nice to see. 
there was no forced love storyline. Yeah, which is good. And, you know, maybe even us looking at it and thinking there could be romance there is just a predisposition of us, our movie-watching histories, because that's what we expect. Um, So, yeah, subverting expectations in that sense, because, you know, that is what we all go in. We see a female, you know, you know, a good-looking female character and a, and a good-looking male lead or together in a film, in an action film. But this week's, you know, your, your subconscious expectation is there's a kiss or a look or something at some point. Um, and they, that never happens in this. There's a look, there's looks, but, you know, what we think of as possibly romantic. It's just like I look at it now watching the film um, and always have really just with knowing kind of what we're going for is that it really was just a, a, a respect thing for each other as, as warriors, um, you know, because that's what they are in this film, and 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 you know, respect for each other's um, humanity as well. Um, you know, they they discover like you know, Max rediscovers his humanity throughout this film, and Furiosa discovers that she can maybe trust him, trust him, tr- like you know, because she's running away with these women because they've been subjugated by men, and she may be discovering that not all not all men are bad. And she was in a, a woman's stronghold and was stolen by men. Yeah, so it's like yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah in a lot of ways it's about you know feminism mm-hmm. in a powerful way i think especially in 20 i mean five years ago is five years ago it's still yeah i think it's before more, it's before me too became a thing thing really this is close yeah. yeah i mean they were filming it in 2012 that definitely wasn't mm-hmm. happening so yeah. um so yeah for george miller to come up with this kind of you know because mad max has very much been a man's world um in many ways um, to come up with this kind of idea and um, and these characters and and this work because it is it is a brutal world for the women but he's he's showing that these women can and even the the five ladies the breeders that she breaks out and take like they all have their own qualities as well as as far as their strengths and um, you know there's the one that unfortunately there is the one that unfortunately does depict what happens to some women is that they, you know, um, the Stockholm syndrome, I guess, cause she keeps wanting to go back and unfortunately to her detriment. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. Fr- that's a frustrating one, but it just yeah. shows like how different brains work in different situations in a crisis situation. You know, one out of five is probably going to be a martyr, which happens One that's yeah. probably going to be, uh, well, the, it's, yeah. Fear of the unknown future sometimes makes you go back to the known past, even whether it's bad or exactly. not. Exactly. And that's what she Yeah, she trust me, I've talked to my ex several times during quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, Zoe Kravitz is the best person in the film overall, I think. Yeah, she's, yeah, I, I re- I'm a big, I, I love Riley Keough as an actress as well, so I think she does a great job. Um, Zoe's come a lot way a long way, but back then she was like pretty unknown, other than kind of being a model and a few yeah, other she, gigs. She, but, she'd like, done X Men before this one as well. Um, she yeah, around the same time, maybe. She would have filmed them around the same time. Um, X Men First Class was two thousand eleven, I think that came out. So she oh, might, really? might have even come out before that. Yeah. I don't. That's my one glaring hole in my. Yeah. film knowledge is the but yeah, she was pretty unknown man, coming into that too obviously she's known um for the very famous parents of hers but um yeah her film career was very young so yes when she filmed this would have been at a similar time possibly to the um or after x-men first class which was a very early role for her as well you know since then she's gone on some pretty big roles and um you know big she's the work. female lead in high fidelity yeah in uh, the hulu series it's, yeah, yeah her, that's, cool. And, that's so cool. 
Because her mom... Yeah. No, her mom's not in that, but... No, her mom's in the original movie, though. Is she? Yeah. Yeah, she... Yeah, yeah she, that, she plays it, yeah. yeah. She plays the singer. Yeah. And her stepdad is now Jason Momoa, or, like, kind of stepdad. I was like, what an attractive family. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Lisa Bonet had, like, a piece of your dish. <laughs> not sexual, just want to have a conversation. Yeah. Um... Also, the place where those the the breeders, I guess you call them the women. That sounds bad to say. In that's 2020. what he calls. That's what he calls these. That's what he calls in the film. Is like he. They say she. He's. Well, they refer to in some of the writing about the film is that his prized breeders, which in the context of the film, that's what they see them as. So you know. They also have the ladies who are doing doing the mother's milk and all that stuff. But where the breeders live is pretty dope. In that, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Yeah. In that little cavern, it's got a, like a, a jacuzzi in the middle. I mean, not a jacuzzi, but water. <laughs> and then they have like this little book nook. It's, hey, you know. Yeah. But you just... gotta have sex. you gotta have sex with that guy, which yeah. is rough. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, force and then breed a bunch of war boys that you never get to uh, actually mother properly. Um, the poor war boys. And then you eventually, I assume, you become one of the mother's milk ladies. I assume so, yeah. Not what you want. I love that Max doesn't even... See, that's what's confusing. If the like previous Max film started in kind of regular civilization, how does Max not know what milk is anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's losing his mind, I guess. But yeah, I guess that's... Um, yeah, you get the through lines of the films and... Yeah, because uh, yeah, the original film is very much all the, all the normal things that you expect. Um, it's just it's normal. It's just a society now that are a bit more broken down. Um, you know, the police barely exist. So almost exactly like our society yeah. right now in America. <laughs> yeah. Um, Fun. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm trying to think of something just to, to bring us into the break now. Um, well, like I guess uh, you haven't seen the original film, so you have no idea about this. But I think I sent you a Snapchat last night. But the uh, our wonderful uh, M- Morton Joe in this film was uh, played by the same guy that played the title uh, antagonist in the original Mad Max film. Really? Yeah, I sent you, I sent you that Snapchat last night of the guy with the the frazzled hair and. I didn't understand it to yeah. be completely honest with you. <laughs> I think uh, that was during the Timbers match, and it was just yeah. But, uh, Pints and yeah. soccer, <laughs> but yeah, Hugh Keys Burn. I th- I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong, but um, yeah, he was the uh, toe cutter as as the leader of the motorcycle gang in the original film, and incredible performance in that as well. Um, very different voice, obviously, and he was a uh, he had this real hushed tone. And he was very much um, the 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 motorcycle gang in the first film is weird, like. They they do some bad things. weird weird world. They do yeah. some bad things to some people, and you know they're very bad people in general. And you know they're hopped up on a lot of drugs. And yeah, it was a late seventies film, um, but yeah, he's he, he just had oh man, he I you need to watch that film. I mean, it's a great film to just as a as an indie because that the original Mad Max was the most profitable film ever until I think the Blair Witch Project took the. Like as far because the original Mad Max was made for like four hundred thousand dollars and it made it's, uh, yeah. it's made over a hundred million since. Yeah. Um, because it was just a 
low budget Australian film. They just they destroyed a bunch of cars out in the out in the roads near Melbourne and made a made a film. And that, and that it actually has a has a. Story. And then they filmed Wolf Creek there. <laughs> <laughs> no, Wolf Creek is closer to where I live. Um, Sounds right. About right. <laughs> Southern bogans. <laughs> but yeah, Hugh, Hugh Keys Burn. Um, it's really cool that he came back. You know, all these years later. Um, you know, forty years later, uh, or thirty, I guess they thirty-three, thirty-four years later into this film, um, to pl- again play a really great role as the um, because Morton Immort- Morton Joe, um, his mask and his 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 kind of lording over of these people is that he's a really great antagonist um you know even though it's a lot of the time it's not you got it right <laughs> what's that you got that right Pro- antagonist not protagonist yeah, oh, yeah i do I, yeah i do get that wrong a lot don't i yeah <laughs> it's a little bit that i keep to myself <laughs> The thing is, too, when you sent me that, is I didn't know the names of everybody. I still don't. I'm like you've seen this through 15 episodes and just countless bar talks that uh, I don't remember the names of people in films very well. I remember like the actors' names and so stuff. So I, if you could send me those snaps again, I'd I'd appreciate it because yeah, <laughs> now that I know. I, I'll have to um I'll have to see if I've if I saved him or at least I'll just send send a screen grab of all right just a a picture of his character from the first Mad Max to you here now but um so he's like just part of a biker gang in the first Mad Max and he yeah. becomes like a dictator no no it's not he's not the same character it's just the same actor oh, oh okay yeah yeah no it's just uh, it's right. just a really interesting aspect that they he the same um actor came back um you know obviously. He, he's just fantastic in that first one. Really different kind of role. I mean, still a psychotic leader of a motorcycle gang, which is more or less the same thing that he's doing in this one. But he's very. He just has this line where he's just like. He's telling a couple of his guys to. Oh no! There's one. Uh, he's uh, he's kind of intimidating a guy, a, a train station clerk, and. The guy says, uh, whatever, whatever you say, and he just delivers this line. He says, like, whatever I say, what a wonderful philosophy you have. And he's just, like, really, like, softly <laughs> spoken the entire film, um, a lot of it. And he, you know, yells a bit and stuff. But this it, completely different to a Morton Joe's, like, like, just really gruff. Yeah. It's obviously aged, aged his voice, too. But, um, and he even, just, there's another bit in the original film where he's, like, telling a couple of his guys to go away, and he just does this, Bubba. <laughs> and he just blow like just exhales and just like and it's just just it's a really great get the fuck out of here yeah it's just a really great uh, acting performance and like so yeah to bring him bring him back in a completely different role it's nothing related to the first film but just to have the same actor back you know I love you know it's kind of we talk about it with Tarantino films and you know Wes Anderson and guy, guys that bring bring guys back that um, you know, th- those guys bring guys back that have been in their films in the last five years. This is like a thirty, a thirty-plus year break between films, and he's come back to put in another shift as a great, as a great antagonist in a in a big film. So, you know, for a guy that's not, com- he hasn't a huge. He's had a big film career in Australia, but um, beyond that, you know, it's not a big actor outside of it. But he's, you know, and Morton Joe is a character now known right around the world and. Oh, certainly Toe Cutter is as well, but the the original Mad Max is still a bit more of a cult film, whereas this one's certainly a big film around the world now for people. So, yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, on the just on a similar note, I love that like one of the first speaking roles is a, a guy with a very hardcore Australian accent. <laughs> as kind, of, I think that's kind of a nod to the previous three as well of just the the Australian heritage of the films. Yeah, well, I mean, it is. Furiosa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of big Australian actors, that, or, or well-known Australian actors, like um the guy, um even um the the little guy in the in the chair um with the tel- <laughs> with the telescope <laughs> telescope um he sadly passed away a couple of years ago he's a very famous Australian personality that was um you know he he was Quentin something is his name but he he used to he was very much uh, he was a film critic and he would roll around in his chair and, and interview people at films and he was really well he was really well known in um, <laughs> We might have to a gig is a gig is a gig is a gig. This over that. No, I just meant like that's what he he just was. He was just a film critic and and he's really well known and um. The yeah. little guy. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I thought a, that was like CGI. No, no, he's just a really a really well known and respected guy in film circles in Australia. And so, like I said, sadly he passed away a couple of years ago. I think so. R.I.P. Um, he was a big part of my childhood. It was like I just remember him on TV doing interviewing interviewing people at film premieres and stuff. I was just like, so when I saw him in the film, I was like, oh, yeah, it's him. I haven't seen him in ages because at that point I hadn't watched a lot of those, that TV I'd watched as a kid. But, um, yeah, and then Angus Sampson was uh, the guy um, ripping the baby out of uh, Dear Departed, one of the one of the um, bride breeders. Um, you know, he's mm-hmm. he, he pops up in the Insidious films and a few others, but... Again, uh, you look uh, familiar. Yeah, he's an Australian actor, and then yeah, the guys, uh, the the bullet farmers, and the leader, the the guy, the guy with the fake nose you were talking about earlier is um, he was a big big guy in a lot of TV shows here as well. So yeah, a lot of big Australian actors. It is it is still set in the Australian Australian post apocalyptic wasteland, so um, that's where it's meant to be. So yeah, it's cool to see so many Australians involved in the production. Um, yeah, because it was actually meant to be filmed in Australia. Like they tried to film in the Australian Outback a couple of times. I think they had a torrential downpour that brought up a bunch of wildflowers, which ruined the <laughs> ruined the post-apocalyptic landscape. Because it's a fascinating thing with Australian Outback is when you get a big rain, it completely changes the landscape basically. But um, yeah, so they ended up filming in Namibia. But uh, yeah, originally meant to be filmed here. So, is a Morton Joe in? Any of the other films? No. Okay. Because there's a whole uh, biography on on a wiki, like on a Mad Max fandom wiki that I'm going to have to read now. Yeah. (laughs) At some point, like probably after the pod, but just like his rise to how he got to the Citadel. I guess it already, the story already exists unless it's fan fiction. I'm sure there's some stuff out there, I guess. I don't know if there's, there could have been some comic books and stuff that I'm not aware of. Um, you know, the, sometimes what films do is they do release some pre, you know, when Blade Runner 2049 came out, there's three three different short films that kind of bridge the gap between the two films. Um, so, yeah, so. So Morton Joe was in a biker gang um, after being in the Australian Army in the Water and Oil Wars. So. No, okay. It's all there to read. It's all there to read. Yeah, it's definitely not the, sa- it's definitely not the same character because uh, Toe Cutter definitely... No, yeah, but I think that's it. probably why they had him as like they're yeah. saying he was a biker is because of yeah yeah his so. his previous um, incarnation in actor form yeah I didn't realize it was all connected yeah like that. 
Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fascinating world. It's um, yeah, obviously post post apocalyptic worlds are an interesting thing at the moment too, because you know we we're heading. There. We're on the verge of one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's about we're about almost fifty minutes in, so I reckon it's about time for our um, halftime break. So you know we'll turn around and start racing back to the citadel after the, after the break here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. That's. Ba- And we're back, turning around, heading back towards the citadel because that's suddenly second half. <laughs> Lasso forever. Um, does Ted Lasso survive the apocalypse? Very vigorous shake. Maybe if he's a universal donor, <laughs> but he's definitely the guy hanging upside down. If he does survive, he's a, blo- at the start he's, of a he's a blood bag. Yeah, yeah, and not 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 a good one. <laughs> <laughs> what you got there going on there needle wise <laughs> what you got going on there tuber wise <laughs> people who listen to this podcast and don't who don't like sports are just gonna be like just what is going on <laughs> again well whenever we do a shorts episode we'll do the ted lasso ted lasso saga <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're talking about Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, we did a fair bit of production beforehand, but um, I mean, not like there's not a great deal of story to talk about, but it is a very simple but effective and good story because there is a story there. It's um, you know, it's obviously, and we you were talking about a bit of the backstory you were reading up on uh, Morton Joe and the Citadel and all the, you know, that there's the, there's hints towards this backstory that's there and then it's just and it just dives straight into the action but there is a story that runs through it and the you know furiosa is um you know implied to be a very trusted and and high-ranking lieutenant for immortan joe and imperator furiosa as she is known um and she's going out another another mission to collect gasoline and 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 gasoline and 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 bullets gasoline um, burning gallons of (laughs) gasoline And obviously, she takes. She has actually hatched a plan to take the like um, save the women from uh, Immortan Joe and 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 escape to the uh, land of many mothers um, and you know just find a better place. So it's a very simple and effective story in that sense, but there's a lot of back underlying backstory to it. And um, but the the whole movie is just you know you can boil it down to saying I think the guy in the um, special features on the disc actually said. 
the first half is a chase, the second half is a race. Cause, and it very much does go go to that when they start, they, you know, they're being chased constantly in the first half of the film and the second half of the film, like they really, that climatic action sequence with all the, the polecats and all those guys bouncing around vehicles, it is very much a race and they're bound, you know, you know, they're all alongside each other and there's explosions and, and I guess I'll get to I'll get back to some of the production stuff for that climax, but just the the, the story itself is very much um, it, we get thrown straight into it, and and you know despite the fact that you know like I said there's a lot of subtle hints to the backstory here and there, um, it's it's very easy to get into this film. I found, um, you know, it's just a you kind of you know everything, and again uh, without you know you not knowing the rest of the films, it was very easy. You know, it's a very fil- the film that you can just go into. It's like oh, Mad Max. Yep, I've, I've heard of this, and we were into it, and this is what it is, and it's yeah. I found it a great story, um, you know, from it just to latch into and 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 be invested in too. I was really you know you get invested in you know, and it's not hard when you know you see someone as as horrible as a Morton Joe and his. His control of the people of the citadel, um, obviously the the holding of holding back, of, you know, the holding back of the water, because as he as he says, he's like, you know, don't let yourself get addicted to water, like, <laughs> yeah, um, make you weak, yeah. yeah it's um, like uh, it's going to be that's, that's, that's going to be a Trump tweet next week, by the way. Um, I was going to say it really mirrors what we got going on here with, um, yeah, you know, Trump and Melania, who, you know, whatever. <laughs> Baron's definitely a war boy. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just driving his little his little toy toy car around the uh, around the uh, White House, going, "Oh, what a lovely day!" That fucking kid is so goddamn tall. I just can't even handle it. Already, <laughs> he's like way taller than I am. Already, he's like two. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, I wish there was like a little bit more, but like I really want prequels. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this backstory I'm reading about Morton Joe is just fascinating. About like there's so many stories to be told in that in that landscape, and it's something I would be much more interested in than like a million other you know Marvel or DC movies that they put out. Mm-hmm. Like these are the those are like the prequels I want. Like we don't need to see how Batman became Batman again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or. Uh, another goddamn spider-man series yeah that's the unfortunate thing is like we we um and i guess not to you know i'm not gonna absolutely slam marvel films because they do what they do well but films like this are are, are bad films (laughs) (laughs) films like this really elevate um the art of making a proper action film um, and an action film with substance and story to a, a, just a complete other level. As I said at the start of the podcast, um, you know, this is a film that's on a, in a lot of lists, top, top 10 lists of the decade, uh, certainly of 2015, um, you know, the 10 Oscar nominations, winning six. It was nominated for yeah, Best Picture, yeah, it was nominated which you don't see with picture. action films a lot. Yeah. Um, and and it won a lot of the um, the categories that, it, you know, it really did excel. Like, you know, what, you know Best Picture... Um, yeah, uh, it was unfortunately films like this are never going to win Best Picture, but getting nominated is certainly a, a testament. Spotlight was great. Yeah, um, and uh, but a lot of the production it absolutely deserved to win because there's some of the things they did in this film, and I'll get to some of the stunts when we talk about these climax scenes. Uh, it's unreal what they put these people through, um, including right. including some of the, the the actors were involved in some of this stuff too. So, um, but yeah, it's a uh, it is such a what this film does above 
you know, a, a lot of these Marvel films and whatnot, and especially the fact um, you know Marvel films are very heavily CG. This film used CG when it was absolutely necessary, um, rather than you know guitars and steering wheels and things of that nature. Yeah, but the, you know the the actual guitar beyond beyond that scene with the three D, right? You know the guitar works. Um, you know, even the scene where at the start where Immortan Joe is chasing the 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 war rig down and they, he kind of jumps in front of it um, in his vehicle. That was see the the splicing of them together, so it looks like he's jumping in front. I believe that was CG, but the actual jump wasn't. It was just they didn't want to do it. They didn't jump the car in front of the rig. Um, yeah. So it was kind of those two. It's like you really need to you really need to jump that car, Martin Joe. Yeah. You need to do that or you're trying to be cool in front of your wives that obviously hate you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all you know, it's a, it's just a wonderful testament. And yeah, I, I'd love to see. Yeah, and whether, it, and it, it's what's fun about um the amount of different media we can consume now. It'd be really cool to see. Like, I mean, like I mentioned, Blade Runner twenty forty nine did three different five six minute short films um that are on the on the disc. They kind of one of them uh, is there's different just aspects of the pre twenty forty nine world they they attack and they do it in different ways. There's one that's in uh, one that's anime and uh, yeah different different animation um, techniques and you know you could do that for this or you could do a, a full full length feature prequel um, on, and they're talking about doing that with Furiosa depending on how these legal things go and. Uh, and you could even just do. A, I'd just read a fucking comic book about it too, like a good graphic novel. Like that would be great. I mean, the story's already there. Apparently, yeah, so. I guess there's books, maybe kind of yeah. like the Star Wars books. There's like all over the galaxy and stuff. So it's like all over the world. So you know, who knows where this really takes place in a post-apocalyptic world? Could be anywhere. Well, I can tell you, it's in Australia somewhere. That's about as close as I can get to it. Mmm. Seems. Hmm, seems fishy, you being Australian <laughs> and all. Well, I can tell you because there's a, the one of the the, uh, the one of the guys. Um, it's a very uh, uh, subtle thing, but he has a one of the guys in the climax of the film that jumps on top of the rig, and he's got like a he's got a sign as his shield. It's a give way sign, which is very much an Australian. It's the, it's a you. It means like you know in in America your signs say yield. In Australia they say give way. So. Plus, Which, he jumped on the rig like a kangaroo. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, do you guys have an aquifer down there? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there is. I don't know. So that's the one. That's Maybe. the one that a Morton yeah. Joe has. Yeah. Um, it, I, I found it interesting, I, and this is—I don't know if this is something that's deliberate or not—but the start of the first Mad Max has the car chase where um, they're trying, like one of the guy, one of the cops is hanging out of the car with a shot, shotgun trying to, uh, trying to hit um, the car they're chasing and he, and the car breaks and he blasts a shot off and hits a giveaway sign and spins the giveaway sign around. It's very like focused on it. And then the guy jumps onto the war rig and clearly has a giveaway sign in his, I, I don't know if that's a little Easter egg for fans or what it was. I think so. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So it well, was just cool. Giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's obviously, it is very much a film that could be anywhere, but it does have those subtle Australian and obviously like a lot of the accents in the film are uh, Australian accents as well. So it, um, obviously Furiosa aside, but I, I find her having, 
an accent that is very different to a lot of the Australian accents in the film. Certainly, why it, it gives them, it does add. add I don't think it's Australian at all. No, no, no that's what I'm saying. It's South it's, African. It's different to it's different to Australia, and it gives it that. Um, it makes it makes her seem more exotic and different as well, in the sense of being not them, like the you know a lot of the, and I think that's it's a really nice, you know diverse nature to the film which is this this world has diverged into just chaos and different people and and it's just really it kind of works it's crazy how you know depending on the film accent ac- accents can be troublesome because you, you you're trying to place your film and in, in, you know whether it be a boston set film or a, you know you know some films that try to do cockney accents when people shouldn't be trying to do a cockney accent but this film being that it is just in the post-apocalyptic wasteland, accents can, you know, if you get the right, it's actually, it works for the film to have different different dialects and different accents all melding in the same way because you're all in the, you're all in the bunch of, you're just in the apocalyptic wasteland anyway. So people are going to be clashing and, and different people are going to be around and it's it's not going to matter. And it actually just adds to the flavors of, of this world that that's building. Just a note on that with people from Boston who want to critique every Boston accent in every film made, hey, guess what? There's way over 300 other million Americans (laughs) who don't really care. They just see the accent and don't really care about the nuance of it. Obviously, we want it to be good, just like you do from Boston, but hey, maybe don't shit on every movie that has a bad Boston accent. Like People want to shit on The Departed for it. It's like, oh yeah, that makes that movie bad. Just kidding, it's fucking amazing. Like, and the over, maybe the over-accenting in it, I think, makes me like it more. So, yeah. just, everybody just chill out. You know? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not shitting on Tarantino for his terrible Australian accent in Django, because it's just funny. I am. That's different. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny to me that, it, that Tarantino wanted to try to be an Australian in a film of his. That's just He's funny. not a good actor, either. Siri decided to start chatting. Thanks, Siri. She just likes to interrupt. Some say we need a feminine touch on this pod, so, you know, I I think I think I asked Siri where the Percocets were in a podcast recently. (laughs) (laughs) Borderline treasonous. Uh, Speaking of which, you know, what uh, Furiosa does is borderline treasonous, but uh, it's in uh, the good nature of uh, saving the people. Yeah, well... It is kind of like a Matrix type, like, which, you know, if you want to get into the Matrix, then you got to get into, like, the Bible story, Mm -hmm. which I think is what the Matrix is based on, which this kind of is. It's like a savior against tyranny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on there. For Again, for an action movie, there's a lot of symbolism and there's a lot of... uh, there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, yeah, um, it's in, and again, like, this film was made well before uh, the current political climate that we're living in, but Immortan Joe and his uh, obvious, you know, it's not like it's tyranny and dictatorships that, that feed people the, the uh, um, you know, the news that they feel they need to know or the, the information or misinformation about, you know, being getting addicted to water and, and, and how luckily, luckily they are to, li- to get these little treacles that they get. Um, you know, it's not obviously isolated to what we're currently living in, but it does, you know, watching this film in this current climate, you, you certainly watch it and go, oh, look, it's it's Trump. 
Yeah, definitely. With the boils on his back and the fat and the yeah. Especially like the fact that he, you know, the the very there's a re- that great scene early on where he's being he, he's being treated like he's they're blowing the dust onto his boils and then and then putting these and putting these face like these plates on his back and stuff that kind of cover it Big up. Big six pack. Yeah, and make him, <laughs> yeah. and make him look and make him look. You know, it's it's very much um, kind of a Wizard of Oz thing, or uh, and and yeah, definitely, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And, I yeah. mean, it's building a dictator, and it's all for show. And like those people are so far down. Like, I mean, like a few of them have telescopes, so they can't even see him. So mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, they say that in the uh, in the wiki, the the wiki on fandom um, is that he becomes a deity to these people because yeah. he's like this white this crystal white god up in the clouds basically that mm. provides them with the very least of what they need so yeah yeah um it is a very cool ending obviously it's a happy ending but mm. not completely happy because you want i don't know if you want romance between them but i think a lot of like Amer- american audiences probably want a romance between them like if like imagine you're taking your girlfriend or your wife to this film who's not like super into into film and you're like oh it's like it'll be an action movie this will be one that i pick and like that girl probably wants you know the romance side of it mm-hmm. but it's just the balls of the wall action film yeah with yeah, a happy ending. it would have been cool to see you know maybe maxing around but then his his character isn't that you know he's a you know he's a man wandering the wasteland kind of just trying to exist and and what what i did say. i walk a lonely road <laughs> only one that i have ever known two-headed gecko <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna stop it there the ballad, i've been drinking the ballad, make of, it. the ballad of max rockestansky by Shea <laughs> Carlson. Yeah. Boulevard, or, or no, Fury Road of Broken Dreams. Boom, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's it, you know, the film is, I mentioned in the first half of the pod, that it, it, it is his rediscovery of his humanity, because he's, you know, the start of the film, he's talking about the voices in his head and the visions, and, and trying, and, and how he's he can hardly speak yeah like he can like hardly talk he like growls almost. yeah yeah and it's very and it's very it's very obvious and very well done by both miller writing and direct and the writing team creative creative team but then uh tom hardy's performance certainly is great he kind of he you know it's like you said there's not a lot of speaking for him to do and um but it's a lot of grunts growls looks and um you know there's at one point where he he turns around when um the wife that unfortunately um gets thrown off the and killed um where he t- kind of turns around just when she you know survives he just gives that kind of thumbs up and it's like he's like learning how to give a thumbs up again you know <laughs> like you know just he's learning how right. to learning how to be human and and appreciate but then he lies about it what's that that she goes under the tires does she does she go i i thought she went under the tires she was dead. i don't know if she goes under the tires under that if you're going to be able to like pull like even like a, it sounds bad to say, like a, a dead fetus out of her. Like I think if you go under those tires, like she's gonna be pretty shredded because it's like a monster truck that she's supposedly yeah. going. So I think it misses her, um, and I think he just lies to them so they can keep going forward. Mm. As both him and Furiosa do throughout the film, it's like we gotta, you know, hey, keep moving. The whole is greater than the one, which is kind of the whole point of this film. Mm. 
um, in the end. Um, so yeah, it's an old trope, but it really works in this uh, modern way. Yeah, because we I guess we get that with the um, you know they get to. I'm skipping ahead a bit. They get to the um, the land of the land of many mothers and, and meet up with um, Furiosa's old uh, clan, I guess again um, group um, tribe, whatever they call them in the wasteland. Um, Question on that family. I have multiple questions for the second half because mm. this is usually when it goes off the rails. Um, Hit me. Does she? I mean, does that lady usually just stay there naked? Like, is that her job? I think I think they probably would have seen him. Like they they would. There's not much to do out there apart from keep watch of their. That's true. Area. So they probably they probably would have seen them coming and then been like, all right, we'll throw this lady up on the tower. Um, very 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 uh, famous Australian model as well. That lady, um, Megan. Nothing wrong with that. Megan Gale. Um, and yeah, the 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 many mothers. Um, and the, this little group of really great. You know, not that they're in the film for a long time, but the few that the, you know, when they the ones on the motorbike shooting and and protecting on the on the ride back. Uh, one like, of them survives. Yeah, she's just driving the rig at the end. Yeah, or um, the whatever. But again, you were saying that you know one is you know the whole is greater than the one. You know they they went into this you know mission to go back to the citadel, knowing a lot of them would have known they weren't going to survive, um, and. You know, it wasn't even a question asked. It was what they were going to do because it was the right thing to do uh, to, you know, to improve their lot as well because they were out there kind of in the wasteland because, you know, the green place had obviously been um, um, infested and ruined. Um, so, but this there was hope in this green place because we did, you know, the glimpses of the Citadel we did get, we saw that it was incredibly green. And there green. is green. Yeah, yeah, like it was possible to, gr- it was possible to grow life and, and, and food and sustenance and probably and they show that yeah um with morton joe running through his little at first green. when he finds out there's like a fucking a green it's like a greenhouse yeah beautiful like lush lettuces and yeah some, probably some pot and then they well. have all those seeds she yeah. said they have like trees and everything so you like you know bioengineer you know kind of a almost a utopia in the middle of the desert i yeah. think that's kind of yeah again that's for the whole like they said they had every seed and I, I don't think they would have put that in the film if it wasn't like it was a scene, meant it was to a, show it, it meant to show they yeah yeah they could build it up again so yeah and with the yeah. amount of water that's coming out of that thing you'd like that kind well, it's of a goddamn aquifer yeah, like that kind, that kind <laughs> of water pressure water is enough water yeah um which again is just, just shows the um the moral degeneration of Immortan Joe and his his thinking was that, that he was you know shutting he had this big and that's like it's just such a symbolism of of uh, political um, control and and is just having a big switch, being able to switch it on and off for the people and and just keep give him enough to keep him keep him alive, but not enough to keep him to keep him uh, to get him beyond the point of desperation. Because once people get right, exactly like healthcare in this country. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like yeah, I mean, there's a lot of parallels. Like yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The 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 chase back um, is, I mean, the, I mean, the, sorry, the chase there is great, and there's some great action scenes. I mean, the scene in the the nuclear storm, I guess it is, like where the sandstorm. Yeah. That is on, like that is one of the many moments of just beauty in the film is where she nudges that car into the electrical tornado, in, and yeah. just slowly, and they slowly catch on fire, and it's just like. Yeah, there's so many films that try to do some do something crazy like 
oh, get us inside the tornado. Get us do do quick cuts, show all this different stuff. But he just has this tr- shot where it's just you just slowly watching it float up into there, and so it's like the exact way you should do that. Don't just sh- show the beauty of it rather than just do this quick cut action crazy shit that some people that don't, shouldn't be behind a camera do. He just just they knew exactly how to show show every like. It's one of the things that's crazy about this movie to me is that so much, so many action movies do these quick cut things where you don't actually know what you're watching half the time because they're cutting too quickly. It's just chaos. This movie for all for a younger movie, generation. Yeah, this movie for all the explosions, crashes, you understand every every when a car's rolling, the way they shoot it, you see that you, you the scene makes sense to you. You're watching a crash and you're seeing exactly how the crash is happening and how it is affecting the people involved in it. Um, Plus, Miller just does a really good job with wide shots. He like let yeah, he lets you see the whole landscape and show. Yeah. I mean, he leans on them throughout the film, and they're just like perfect and with the coloring he gets because it's either really orange or really blue, mm. and those are such contrasting colors that the viewer is really like it really dictates the emotion of the film yeah, really the, well. The coloring of the film is really yeah really well done. Yeah, it's, it's it's a film obviously that's just in the desert, but it's it's really hyper realized. I guess is it right? But at night it's like bright blue, yeah. not like not like pitch black, and in the daytime it's just bright orange. Mm-hmm. You know, as it as it is. Um, and yeah, it just it really sets the tone of the film. I mean, that goes back to the production and the editing, which was obviously done really well because there's no way that that's the natural color of what they were shooting. Yeah. I mean, look at the. I mean, I've seen scenes from the original Mad Maxes. Those are much more like. There's more of a whiteout in it, I would say. Yeah. Um, what was the original Mad Max was shot on uh, just the thirty? It was one of the first films in Australia shot in anima anamorphic like thirty five mil and. It, the only reason he got the lenses he did was because I th- was it Sam Peckinpah made a movie in Australia, fucking almost destroyed a bunch of his lenses and just left them in Australia because it was it wasn't worth taking back to America or something. So George Miller just got these banged up lenses and just made a f- made the first made Ma- Mad Max with them basically. I think is how that happened. So um, it shows the difference when you get a director finally, you know, obviously with his pedigree since um, he was able to get the to get the equipment he needed. I think it was. A bunch of Alexa digital like Alexas that was used in the shooting of this film, but it was a really interesting. I saw on the special features on the disc as well that um, he gave the direction to his cinematographer that always keep the subject center of the frame so that the the viewers ob- constantly you you're not the viewers not having to look for the action. It's just it's it's there like you know so the viewer doesn't. It's just always obvious to them, and it keeps it very real and centered and and. Uh, you know, because you want the viewer to be watching the action rather than looking for it, so they they're getting it straight away. And it was just, and it it works. You know, everything's just so, it's just so easy to watch. You know, for a film, you know, so many action films can give you a like, give you a headache. Um, I love the Bourne films uh, with the the original three with Matt Damon, but they they were there was a, there's some people that do criticize them for the the headache inducing shaky camera of them. And and there is a part of it that is like you can't always watch that stuff, whereas a film loaded with so much action and and a lot of things happening at once in this one, it's very cinematically shot at the same time, which is really impressive. Yeah, I think there's using shaky cam effectively, and then there's using it to the point where it makes the audience nauseous. And it's like, I like, yeah, it's meant to make you feel like you're there, but like, I don't know. It's like in the that. Uh, 
think it's at the start of Casino Royale, the the chase with uh, Daniel Craig. Like, I don't remember a bunch of shaky cam in that. Like it, yeah. they use wide shots as well, and it's just like it, you feel like you're there still, and it's just shot beautifully, mm-hmm. and you're not nauseous after watching it. So, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like like I said, it's not like I'm against it, and like I I enjoy the Bourne films because I think they're just real. They the the story and the um. And the way they're done is w- well done, but yeah, there is a there is a nauseating aspect. You and my too. pops. <laughs> you and my dad, like a spy agent. He's like, get him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's just like one. Like I don't like those films that much. Mm. Like even the Mission Impossible's. Like some of the James Bonds are pretty good, but yeah, you know. It's just so tense all the time, and so is this movie, but it's like at least there's like a feminine presence, a strong feminine presence that balances that that out, mm. like other than just male anxiety, which is, I obviously have enough on for uh, the future. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Still sober. Still sober. <laughs> that, that one doesn't work. Um, the climax of the film, like the, the entire... Uh, race back to the citadel when you know the the war party catches up to him and shit's going nuts the pole cats are amazing that shit when they're the and that was olympians and gymnasts they got to do that stunt work like and those guys and just as such a ballot like when they again one of those shots where they kind of center and like you kind of just the whole thing's coming at you um in the in the frame and you've just got them like simultaneously like like a you know What's the beautifully shot yeah, again? They do that bouncing back and forth, and like, and the even the um, Warwick Warwick coming in. <laughs> Shay is actually in the citadel right now, and the Warwick's on its way. Um, they had to really be careful about how they like just the production that went into making those because that was those were real things, they were like real, so they had to like it was like a metronome basically built on the back of a fucking moving car they had to make sure the balance was right that the sticks were the right right density of um, and then time it yeah so they're like doing it like because they do it like yeah yeah it's it's very it's very uh, obviously this is an audio medium so you can see me moving my hands but uh it's very it's very hypnotic in a way the way that they look you'd be hypnotized if it wasn't for all the explosions and pulsating guitars at the same time and if you weren't rooting against them yeah i think be like oh that's so dope it's like when they're fighting the spikes people and they're like doing all that stuff and you're rooting for him and kind of like my dad with the spike movies is like get him yeah <laughs> and you're like but then when they're on the when they're the bad guys you're like oh that's so intimidating mm-hmm. but i guess one of the one that grabs uh zoe kravitz um ended up marrying one of the five wives so that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> i'm not kidding like in real life yeah Oh, that's cool. Um, you know. Yeah, I can't remember which uh, of the wives, but not yeah. Zoe, obviously. But yeah, and I know the um the one the pregnant one that uh, died earlier in the film. She's engaged to Jason Statham or something like that. So. Oh right, right. <laughs> Krav Maga. <laughs> Sorry, I'm stealing from all fantasy everything now. <laughs> it's alright. Calms with. Would me. you be surprised to know that I know Krav Maga? Calms is going to tweet you and be like, what the fuck are you doing? I, yeah, well, 
I'll I'll join in his battle against uh, some of the podcasts that made fun of him for who literally stole his idea and then made fun of him for it, getting yeah. mad about it. So not stealing your idea, Carms. Love you, dude. Just crab my god. He'd probably be happy that I'm talking about it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, hey, good for Jason Satham. He uh, deserves it. Yeah, he's had an interesting career from being an Olympian or whatever to, you know, Fast and the Furious <laughs> and other. Well, you know, there's some good films in there. Snatch. Yeah. Lock, and stop. that's about it. No, Lock, Lockstock as well. Is he in that? I'm not 100% sure he's in Lockstock. I haven't actually seen it for, for 10 years, but... Yeah, he's in Lockstock, yeah. Plays two different characters, I'm guessing. Oh, you mean between the two no, He doesn't play Turkish in Lockstock. No, no, no. He is in that, now that I think about it. He's just yeah. not the main guy. No. It was probably one of his first films, to be honest. It was like 98. First films! <laughs> I'm gonna run this into the ground like one of the war rigs that clamps down into <laughs> the desert. Yeah. Man, the, they, they, they really thought about everything. It's like, and that's probably another thing I love about the film is like the, uh, obviously they know vehicles well, like the, the spitting of gasoline into the blowers just to keep like to fucking like, just, that's just nuts to think of that in a film. And, it, and it's really tense as well because they're just having this competition of who can like fucking just spit more gasoline in there and get the car going fucking just raging harder and right and the war dogs just like they're fine dying because yeah. they feel like i yeah, mean they're just getting thrown off of vehicles and shit like right even at the start like that bit where you're saying with the the spike cars that come out come out the rig when the when the guys in the rig don't realize they're fucking taking part in treason um you know they're just they're just like flying off the car to you know throw through dynamite poles at uh, you know enemy vehicles and and yeah they're, they're just just they don't care like because their lives you know it's you know witness me as i go to valhalla and all that shit and yeah yeah i mean nux does it too he fills his car with gasoline and uh is about ready and tom hardy luckily stops him (laughs) i love that max is just in the back he's just looking through the back window as he's tied to this fucking guy feeding him blood and he's just like what the fuck is this cunt doing he just starts punching the window he's just like you piece of shit i'm not dying for this yeah but Nux is just like so. Obviously, um, we, you were talking about how they see um, Immortan Joe as a deity, and they believe in all this shit. Like you know, you you ride into Valhalla, and you know he believes that. So that's what that's what um, you know, uh, absolute belief in a in a false, false yeah, it's false another deity does is I'll fill my car with gasoline and drive and fucking drive it into drive it into a war rig. So it's another critique of you know, you know another main tenet of our current society, which is religion. Yeah. And, like buying into it completely. And I mean, it's also, I mean, it's more about politics. I think even at the time is like buying into a, a false God, mm. but it would be easy for them to think that like Valhalla is on earth. When you look up from like down below and I know the war boys are a little bit higher up, but even still like you look up and see green in like a vast world of, it's kind of like how like the Greeks probably used to look up at the clouds. Mm-hmm you know, over yeah, we, 2,000 we, we, years ago and been like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's where the gods fight. Like, there's clouds in the summertime in uh, in the U.S. when it gets all stormy and stuff where it's like, oh, I could easily see how people would thought, like, thought there was another world up there, like, 2,000, 2,500 years ago, whatever. So Yeah, we yeah. create stories for the things we don't know, so. 
and and the people that do know use those stories to hold power. So it's very very e- very the lo- yeah, like you said, a lot of symbolism in this film. That you know you you can watch this film, and if you don't 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 pay too much mind to that kind of stuff, then you can watch it and enjoy it without it. But it also does make the film incredibly more richer when you do come at it with that kind of uh, kind of understanding of how you know people people and people in power work to um, undermine um, you know subjugate the people under them as well it's really really fascinating um, yeah yeah I mean it kind of shows how modern society formed itself and how power the power structure started even though it's after everything we've known but it's like history books weren't like lasting through a nuclear war so like yeah they I mean the war boys don't know any better yeah. that's all they know so I mean there's parallels to that in places in this kind con- or not this country. Well, maybe this country too, but in this world that are the same way right now, yeah. you know, in China, you know, they don't have Google. So it's like easy to be like super bought in to your leader in your country. If you're not seeing any outside ideas and you're only being fed one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. Is the, you know, even one of the, when they throw Nux off of the war rig, I think it is, um, and they're arguing with him as he's holding on, and he's they're saying he's like, he's trying to say you know, you guys need to come back, and they're like they're arguing, and then just when he throws him, well, off, one of them believes it, like yeah. we've already talked. One of them's into it. Yeah, and one of them one of them yells as he's thrown off. They just yell, "Who killed the world?" And I just it's such a yeah. powerful line because it's just like they don't know anything about what's happened to get the world to where it is, but they know something bad happened. And it's just like we just like who did this? Who got us to this point? Um, which is unfortunately a question that will be asked if the if that if the worst happens. And um, I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts about nuclear n- nuclear proliferation and warfare over the last few weeks, just because it's something I'm interested in. I've just discovered some new pods about it. So um, it, it's you know. You need to get Andrea back in your life for the love of God. <laughs> 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 we had we had a we had a five hour FaceTime date yesterday. Well, it was longer than she fell asleep, but we watched. I just mean that so you're not going down these rabbit holes. Oh, it's these it's, rabbit holes. It, it's it's fascinating. It's it's history to me. That's stuff that people need to. It's another another point of awareness people need to be about about the world. Is that yeah? We need to we need to have awareness and make people aware that you know nuclear weapons do exist and they're really bad. Still, and we should we need to get rid of them. So. You know, without pressing a button, just you know, denuclearize nicely. So, yeah, in a perfect world. Yeah, but that's what these—that's what these films are all. You know, these films all come from a fear of that to a certain extent. Um, so, right, and that's another critique that it goes well beyond. And obviously, this movie can be enjoyed at multiple levels, just like every movie. Mm. I think, um, you know, even a dumbass in the middle of the country can go and watch it and be entertained by it and be like, oh, that was great. But, like, if you really, like, take a step back and really want to look at all the ideas that George Miller was trying to get across, there's a lot to be taken out of it mm-hmm. if you want to psychoanalyze it. Yeah. Um, the ending, it, it, this is one of those films that I love a good, satisfying death of a uh, death of a antagonist. And when Immortan Joe gets his face fucking ripped off, um, I mean, this film, it doesn't glorify, it doesn't, you know, it's not, a, you know, it doesn't have like, you know, a, you know, guts bursting out and like, you know, focus on it. There's plenty of blood in this, but it's kind of like just quick. It's just like a death happens. It's very, 
it's very pragmatic. It's just what it is. Um, but so it does have, you know, it's a, I think it's a, it might be an R-rated film in America. I know it's MA15 plus in Australia. So certainly like a film that's, um, that uh, is very adult. So that's probably what hampered it a little bit at the box office. Cause it, um, but George Miller doesn't shy away from making the film he wants to make. And I respect that cause it makes it better for someone like me that wants to see a film like this. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's blood here and there, but it's not like, it's not gratuitous, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But, yeah, and, and not Max's blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that he washes off with mother's milk. Yeah, that's not his blood. It's it's yeah, it's so so well delivered too. And he, I would do a short film on just whatever the hell he does to that little, you know, like tank truck that's coming at him and yeah. how it explodes. Like, let me. I, I'm very, and then he ends up with a bunch of guns. So it's very, it's very cool. Yeah. And that's like I think that's a really powerful tool in filmmaking, though, is not showing everything. Yeah, yeah. you know, because that would scene would have taken like twenty minutes probably to show everything that like to show the trap or whatever mm. Max made to stop them. So it's just like effective that he, yeah, yeah, and it kind of shows that he's not he's this entire like he's doing stuff to help them but it, it's not all about him like he comes back and it's just like he doesn't make a big deal today he's not like oh yeah and no, i just went there just uh, he doesn't lean up against the side of the truck and bulge a muscle and go yeah i blew up the tank and got all these guns for you like cheers like yeah. he just comes back that's again yeah wa- washes it off and, and he's you know it's the 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 hole is greater than the one kind of thing that you're talking about earlier so um, these guys are all just trying to get through their day this isn't you know to us, this is fantastical and obviously a, a fantasy film set in the post-apocalyptic future. But for these guys in this world, it's this is just a day in the life. This is work. This is a job for them. Um, obviously, something we'd never want to go through as a job. But um, this is just them trying to get through and survive. And that's what you've got to do is everything becomes a pragmatic endeavor. Is just, you just got to do what needs to be done. And, you know, if it, if it means blowing up a car tank and taking a bunch of guns and getting back and just washing some blood off with some mother's milk and getting on with your day that's what it is you know so uh you know and that's it yeah like you said it's certain parts of films they do a really good job like he you know some filmmakers don't know exactly the kind of you know point of view and uh and vantage point they want to take with certain scenes but having that vantage point be that they're just dealing with a truck while max runs off into the fog and they see an explosion then he comes back you know, it kind of could have been anything, and, yeah. and it makes it a fantastical vantage point for them because they're looking at it, going, "Holy shit, we don't know what what's he done." Like, so they're kind of impressed by it, but he's, and we're impressed by it too. But we none of us see what happens, and it's just like, "All right, let's get on with our day now." So, so it's kind of this moment of like they they build this respect for him because he does actually, of his own volition, go off and risk his life for them, but he doesn't make a big deal of it. Um, just as Furiosa does, has her moments where she. She saves Max, and, and and no one makes a big deal of anything. They just do it, and that's it's kind of what the the bipartisanship of the the gender gender dynamics in the film is that you you the whole film you know it's a female and a male, but it's never actually no one ever makes a big deal of it. Nothing, nothing. It's just what it is, and that's what makes the film so powerful in that. The Fury Road. Yeah, <laughs> that's what makes the film so powerful in that sense is that. Um, we all know these things, these dynamics that are there, but no, no one makes a big deal of it because it is just the the mutual respecting that builds throughout the film. Um, yeah, it's really impressive in that sense that we just we just go about it, and and we don't need to see what Max does there because we see plenty of explosions and fucking a crazy shit in the climax of the film anyway, which is lots of fun. So, you know, 
Yeah. It's a really good moment. Probably not for them, but yeah, fun for the viewer. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it was fun for the guys making the films too, because they. <laughs> oh yeah. When they blow up the f- the fuel rig, like in the special features, they talk about blowing that up, and they're just like, "Yeah, we had to rig this thing to be driving, and it, it was completely remote controlled, obviously, because they're blowing the whole fucking thing up." So this big. Looked like bombing. Yeah. 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 So they had to. They had. To, they had explosive. It was like full of. Uh, gasoline in the middle of it. obviously it was literally full of that and then they rigged explosives on it to go off in those those stages as it did and then yeah it was completely remote controlled because you can't have anything couldn't have anyone in it so it was a remote controlled fucking semi that was rigged to blow up at speed and um and they did, it blew up perfectly it was really impressive to watch on the screen but then when you watch the behind the scenes of it getting blown too but yeah the uh the entire climax of the film was really just entertaining, balls to the wall, fun, um, and really intense as well. Like you know, we've got you know, uh, you know, Zoe Kravitz gets ripped out of the car and captured, and then you've got um, you know, Max is bouncing around and fighting polecats on top of a pole, and his head's about an inch off the ground. And yeah. I think that was actually like I think there was a couple of moments that they said there was a few there was a few close calls on the set from whatever. This is the I'm gonna say one rock, one rock that's a little bit bigger than. Yeah you want it to be mm-hmm. uh and you're dead yeah so <laughs> I, he realizes that too i mean once his head gets down that low he's like ah! <laughs> it's like the most emotion max shows the entire film yeah 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 when you're about to get your you get um your head just rubbed a couple of inches shorter at like you know <laughs> whatever speed they're going i'm assuming 60 70 miles an hour at least across at the, least yeah, i mean they have all those hydraulics and that shit too maybe they're just used to going like way faster than we could even imagine you know yeah. all the uh odometers are in kilometers so i just like i was lost it was lost on me <laughs> so <that's>, yeah. <laughs> well you know six sixty five is 65 miles an hour is about 110 kilometers an hour i think or that might be 70 yeah uh, it's you know math something google, something really look google will tell you google will tell you everything unless you're in china um, I just yeah, <laughs> I just assumed they were going really fast, especially when they're spitting gasoline into the, like and water to cool down their engines and yeah. all that stuff. But yeah, I assume they're going very fast, but yeah. it's also a terrible climate, so who knows? Maybe they're going twenty miles per hour, and that's fast to them <laughs> <laughs> in the future. Yeah, um, yeah. With well, the end of the film, when they, they, it's a really powerful moment when they dump um, when they uncover Immortan Joe's body at the Citadel too. And again, we were talking about um, you know, believing in deities and, and false false deities and, and having that belief ripped away from you. And that's what they do in that scene. You know, Nux had already had that happen sooner, obviously. Because, um, you know, he... Maybe was, he survived that crash. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, but <laughs> RIP Nux. <laughs> you don't know. He's going to wander back to the Citadel. And then that red-haired lady is going to be like, never knew you. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it was just a, it was just a moment on the road, man. You know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, somebody I used to know. Maybe that's how Gautier got his start. <laughs> Spotify actually recommended me a different song titled that, and it's like as good as the as Gautier's version, but they're like two different songs completely. But it's just about knowing somebody you used to know, like Nux. Yeah. Also, Australian, also Australian Godia, or whatever his name is, I think. Well, you guys are classic for one-hit wonders in America, at yeah. least. 
Here's another song that I like, uh, it, but um, I can't remember what it's called. It's just that it's from the same album and no one probably knows it. So, yeah, he was definitely a one-hit wonder in that sense. Yeah. Um, Good song, though. Yeah. Might listen to it a little bit later and maybe cry. I don't know. <laughs> Still quarantine here, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really powerful end to the film and the the whole Citadel taking. Yeah, it was very peaceful as well. It's just like, oh, we're going to show you the body and you're going to realize that this was all bullshit and it's cool. And then the people, yeah. and then you, they realize the power of the people down there because they're like, lift, let her up, let her up. And um, yeah, it's really just a proletariat, really, baby. Yeah, it was a really <laughs> workers of the world unite. Um, I don't think they're working though. I think they're just literally like. They're literally existing. Um, that's about all um, um, yeah i don't know what else that would they what is they do there i don't know I assume there's possibly things that they do but there's know. probably like some sort of sport that we haven't even thought of yet Thunderdome. sandball <laughs> <laughs> i don't know kick this rock between two bigger rocks i mean that's basically soccer <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Yes, I was to round this out before uh, I was about rotten to. tomatoes. <laughs> um, rotten tomatoes. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, my voice isn't right today. I'm not getting the cadence right. I'm really disappointed. You're squeaking, and I... that's what's making me do it. Because <laughs> that guy is so squeaky. Uh, there's a lot of tribes in this land. Where yeah. Where do you see yourself fitting? Like, where, what what would what tribe do you think you'd be in? I mean, we don't even know. We know, like know just the small world they present us, but there's multiple tribes in it. Yeah, um, it's hard because all of them seem like they're evil, apart from the people that are being subjugated. So, um, yeah, but do you want to be subjugated? <laughs> like, well, it's like I at least want to see myself as someone rising. You know, trying to do something good. Uh, I don't know. I'd probably randomly end up being like a fucking bullet farmer or something. I don't know. Yeah. I thought about this a lot last night. Because I would want to be the motorcycle gang that had the deal with Furiosa. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, but then they seem like... But I think I'd be a crow person when it comes down to it. <laughs> walking I think walking that's... around on those big stilt crow leg things just through the... The muck. Through yeah, the what's muck. that about? I don't know, but that's how, if I survive an apocalypse, that's how I survive, crow person, <laughs> so. I also love the, the motorcycle I'd guys. Be, I'd, be a like, one, I'd be a wanderer like Max and probably have died long before he did. <laughs> Two-headed geckos, yeah. yeah. A lot of protein in those, but, uh, yeah, the motor, I like the motorcycle guys when <laughs> they roll back through there. They're just like chilling on the rock, like they have their boots off and stuff, and they're yeah. just like, "All right, this is like the best entertainment we'll see in years, so yeah. might as well watch it." Like, no reason to get involved. Yeah, yeah, this is an so, kind of thing. So I don't know how evil those guys are, but they're just kind of like opportunists. They do, they destroy. Yeah, they're kind of like the Han Solo of the universe. It's like yeah. a, you know mercenary i guess they do destroy that rock formation which is not cool i hope they didn't actually do that in real life yeah i don't think i i remember there was a there was a story out someone claimed that the 
there was some controversy about the Mad Max set doing some damage to the, the environment, but then the Namibian government came out and said no that they, they did a they did a good job of protecting it pretty well so i don't think there's much of a story there was someone did try to i think it was some tabloid thing tried to create stirrups and stirrups well and it looks real it looks like they destroyed that arch that's like built probably millions of years old so mm-hmm. whatever that was just a thought i think they cgi'd it though yeah or they they somehow rigged an arch themselves yeah because there was a lot of even that, that, even that crash scene between the two sides of that pass is like when you see this behind the scenes of actually just built two fake rock walls and it's just like they're out in the middle of a plane they just crash into the middle of that and for the close up shot so yeah yeah so it's like, yeah I was just so yeah that, that was, was my yeah that was my big question about it well now I'm I'm gonna be thinking about that a lot now because I don't know exactly since we're only like a couple of years away from this being our reality and the water war is setting in that's yeah. uh. You gotta just I don't know how to ride a motorcycle, so like I could probably figure out the stilts. Yeah. I can I've ri- I haven't ridden motorbikes for a while, but I've I've grown up riding them in a bit, so I can figure it out pretty quick. <laughs> Not great mechanically, I guess. Like keeping the bike going might be my thing my my issue. I can I figure things out though. Like I I I don't like mechanical things, like I'm not a mechanic brain like i just don't enjoy it like you know you know people like just just work on cars for days on end because it's like relaxing to them that's that's not i like i like i don't mind getting something going if i need to like if i need to get it going like to to be able to use the thing then i enjoy the process of fixing something but just tinkering away isn't my thing so yeah mechanic mechanical stuff is stuff i can figure out but it takes me some time and in in the post-apocalyptic world where you know, there might be a gang just bearing down on you and you've just fucking thrown a chain off your motorbike. I'd probably just be like, well, it's been a good run, David. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta, uh, yeah. You just spray your teeth and hope for Valhalla. Yeah. Witness, witness me! <laughs> yeah, I'm fucked. What a lovely day. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I just a Nicholas Holt was pretty good in this. <laughs> Plays Nux really well. Is that Nux? Yeah, that's Nux, yeah. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another uh, X-Men um, alumni. There. Who does he play? He's Beast in the new ones. Wow. Yeah. Probably better choice than Kelsey Grammer, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like the old ones? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's, yeah, no, he's, because he, he, in real life dated Jennifer Lawrence for a year or two because of they were in the films together I think so um, and he was, he was also in a, a, About a Boy which is another Nick Hornby novel brought to film as a young he was like 11 or 12 when he was in that and really good so he's just a good actor but yeah he plays Knox really well his um, yeah there's, there's, a, there's a few very famous you know highly highly uh, circulated gifs from this film which you know you reference one of them at the end of the first stuff the you know, that's bait one. Um, Which is like one of three of Tom Hardy's lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Other than him like grunting and looking like Gerard Butler on the front of the car. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but Nicholas Holt, like the Oh, What a Lovely Day um, kind of which just yeah he's jazzed yeah he's just he's just the wide-eyed crazy and it's right in the middle of the electrical storm so the colors of that scene like he's because he's like all like white fucking painted body like flashing off of that and he's wide-eyed and his head's like 
He's like on just 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 bouncing around. And he's just, oh, what a lovely day, and just yeah. Just, that's one of those scenes where I think they speed up just like just like one to two percent, and yeah. it just like throws your brain off that much. But it just like is perfect yeah. for what's going on because there's multiple sand lightning tornadoes. Yeah. Which hey, maybe the name of Washington's football team, the Lightning Tornadoes, Washington Lightning Tornadoes. Yeah. Yeah, that was great news to hear, by the way. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they've been. I like the Washington Red Tails one. That, that. <sighs> just get Red out of there, just for. <laughs> just no, but at for... least yeah, they, they'd um, because it's just a ode, ode to the. It's team. gonna be like Wildcats or some shit like that. It's yeah. not gonna be. We're not gonna. It's not gonna be a good name. I'll tell you that right now. Well, anything. Would no be one's better, gonna. Anything would be better than what it was. So yeah. Absolutely, but I'm just warning people. It's like not gonna be. Exciting. Just go on Washington FC or something like that. Just get get real, get real classic or something. Four quarters. <laughs> Two names. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's a good. That's good news. Yeah. Now, did you did you have was that your question that you were referencing earlier? That was my about, question yeah, yeah. about the. About I basically a, just wanted to talk about about our tribes. Person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, should, I mean, I should know a crow person. The the motorcycle gang looks so cool though because they have like the fake dreadlocks yeah. or maybe they're real dreadlocks. I don't know. Just, the spike people are cool too. Who knows where they're from? Those, I, yeah, I really enjoy the spike cars. Um, I mean, they get totally. Bamboozled. Yeah. <laughs> well, they decided, like, to, take a, they decided to take on a war rig, Captain by Imperator Furiosa. Like, what the fuck were they thinking? I do love that the entire film, though, there's like spikes sticking out of the war rig because, like, they did they did damage to it. Yeah. Like, they got their spikes into it, but like, it yeah. didn't fuck it up enough to really matter. That was some really. Uh, you've just reminded me uh, a really great production on how they kind of subtly made you feel of the, the war rig is more of more of a living thing than it really like basically they wanted the war rig to feel like it was um almost a you know a creature of sorts they i think the the sounds that every time the war rig got pierced and water was coming out oh the the horn of the war rig was like a a whale like a whale sound or something like that yeah and it's then, very deep yeah, and then like when it's uh, when it's water's gushing out, it's like blowhole sounds, and like they they got different whale sounds in there for. Uh, so it's basically a whale. Yeah, so it's it's really cool. Like so, like just all these things that go into making a film like this is why we appreciate it because they just all these little details that you're never gonna think about until you read about it when you you know getting set up for a pod like this and watch the behind the scenes. But it's all those things that when you watch a film like this. That even if you never read up on all of this stuff, this is why the film is better than the other ones that you watch, is because all these extra details have gone into making this film so fucking amazing. Um, yeah, a lot of people put their heart and souls into this movie, and it will forever be the movie that uh, will be the, probably one of the greatest ones I'll ever work on, because there's not going to be many movies that get as uh, crazy about the the stunts and the and the just even the crazy set pieces you know the doof wagon and the stunts and the and the cars and the and the and just the 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 crazy frenetic pace of a two-hour film like this to do what it did um yeah you're not going to see too many like it so yeah i think all the people that worked on it see it as a just such a 
fun film. Even the actors who you know we've mentioned already uh, were a bit at loggerheads on the on set and didn't exactly see the vision, but they've come around since seeing it afterwards and realized what a special special project they're a part of. It's hard to see the vision when you're in the middle of it um, with a lot of things. So yeah. you know you can't. Really I think it's really impressive that this film came out and is obviously an extreme technical achievement, but came out in the same year that The Revenant did, which is also an incredible technical achievement, but in a completely different way. And I think that shows like how far, like we've talked, obviously we've done movies from what the past 30 years, I think Mm -hmm. on this, maybe, yeah, maybe the past 25, but whatever, it just shows how far, like, because we've talked about films that were nominated back in the early 2000s and maybe the late 90s and stuff like that compared to like the fields now in the Academy Awards are loaded mm-hmm. with great films. Whereas like you look back and it's like, of course, that one won. Like Tom Hardy was nominated this year. Not that he deserved a nomination for this. I think Charlize did. But um, she didn't get one. Because I, I do think she was great in it. But uh Tom Hardy was nominated for The Revenant as supporting actor this mm. year, and he was great in that. So it just sh- it shows his range as well. Yeah. He plays a bastard in in The Revenant if you haven't seen it. So, mm. I mean, not you particularly. Yeah, no, you're talking, the, talking the proverbial to, you. Talking, talking to the fans. Um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it just. I don't know. It's just nice to see how far cinema's come, and everybody talks about how it's such a golden age of television, and maybe we're past that now, um, recently, but, like, there's still, like, we're living in an age where the films that are being nominated are, you know, if you would have dropped them in the 90s, they all would have won every award. Kind of like we said about Upon a Time in Hollywood, if you drop that in any other year. I think that's a good thing, Mm -hmm. so... Yeah, like you know, a film like nineteen seventeen from this year, you could have you could have made that in the nineties because it's just a the one take thing could have been done then. It's just that, and all the you know, uh, yeah, Saving Private Ryan was like ninety seven. So I know, was just war, yeah, war, I was going to say film, with the technology and the the special effects to make a war film look the way it was there. It's just it just got made. The people have gotten really you know the inventiveness of directors. You know, Sam Mendes has been around for a long time too, but you know, it's just people. Are just really, really experimenting now because the film world, because film is lo- a lot more competitive and uh, and it's a bit different now with Netflix and streaming and stuff. It's um people are having to to break the mold a bit to get and you know Mad Max Fury Road did that you know even that's five years ago now and you know Netflix was there but streaming's really you know obviously we've got all the different services now, but you know Fury Road's one of those films that did that and like you said The Revenant and you know 1917 all these films that we're loving they they film you know the really great films there's a lot of creators out there really just you know stretching the you know doing things that we didn't think possible you know years ago and um you know it'd be really great yeah i mean you look at Linklater doing boyhood yeah like that like no one would ever like that's the only time that's ever been done really Mm -hmm. so i mean and that didn't win anything really i guess it won best supporting actress i think um patricia arquette won but Mm. Yeah, I mean, to put that much time into a film and, and it only get one or two awards, like, <laughs> I remember a tweet back whenever Boyhood came out. I think that was 2014, maybe. <laughs> it was just, like, Richard Linklater on a beach somewhere just yelling, 10 fucking years! <laughs> yeah. 
And he was like, but just like, people are like trying fuck it, I was just going like to make that. a baseball movie in college again. Which I love. I mean, Days and Confused is amazing. Yeah, I, I, I love Everybody Wants Some as well. So I haven't seen that one yet. It's, but it's really good. I just really wish I hadn't, in the preview, seen the axe with the cutting the baseball in half. Because that's just, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. It's but real, I've heard it's really good. I heard the music's great. And it's just like it's, it's really fucking yeah. It is just yeah. I I I love. Also, it. the title is just awful. I don't know. Dazed and Confused is so perfect, like on every level. We'll do it at some point. Not that that movie hasn't been talked to death by every other person in the entire world, but it deserves it. Yeah. So. Watch everybody wants some and see what you think. Cause we can. I will. Not, yeah. not as many people have talked about that yet, so we can jump in front. Um, I've heard it's better than it was received. I, guess, I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed Days and Confused on first watch. So I I love Days and Confused. As well. How? <laughs> Maybe it's just I don't I don't know. It's I yeah. It could have just been the moment in life that I watched it. Who knows? Um yeah I, yeah I watched Days and Confused younger and then I watched Everybody Wants Some probably only a couple of years ago. So um you know. That's how it goes. Yeah. And Zoe. Weird we're talking about Days and Confused right now. We've yeah. we've gone down the JoJo rabbit hole. Yeah. Which should be <laughs> segment. Yeah, we should do that as but let, JoJo get, rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh to get back on track, um, we'll get into the uh Rotten Tomato score, so I'll get him out to you. I'm just gonna crack another uh, firehouse stout here to get, get through this last I am out of I'm now out of beer. Oh god. <laughs> Send <laughs> Send help. I was okay. only gonna drink three Last night during the Timbers match, but squeaky bum time called for a fourth. So I only had two for the pod. It happened. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a White Claw August. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so what do we got? Um, 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb, 90% uh, Metacritic, 91% of Google users like the film, and 97% in Rotten Tomatoes. Whoa. That's high. <laughs> I'd give it, like, an 88. Oh, God. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I think 97 is pretty spot on for me. I think when you've made... Jesus. When you, well, That's higher than, like, every movie we've done so No, far. but we've, we've, got not, we've got to put it in the context of what it is. It's a, it's, it's a near-perfect action film. So, you know, if you, if you categorize Rotten Tomatoes scores into, like, say you have action movies, Rotten Tomatoes, drama, Rotten Tomatoes, and then they keep them in their own subset, because I'm not comparing this against, like, fucking Magnolia or, like, it's a completely right. different film, so I'm not going to compare, like, Magnolia. All right, that's fair. Yeah, then, Magno Magnolia okay, if we're going just strictly from an action, then I'll give it 100, because it's an action movie that I can't take yeah. my eye off of, whereas action movies I usually, like, turn my nose up at, because I, I'm tired. Like, even Edgar Wright um, with Baby Driver, I, like, it was too much car chasing and stuff. It's just, like, I don't know. Yeah, I know that's a big trope in modern cinema and um, older cinema is the car chase, but it's just like, I mean, once you've seen one, it's kind of like you've seen them all. The Italian job did a really good job. In, I think that was 99 with the Mini Coopers. That was a fun car chase, mm -hmm. but it's like, I don't know. This is just a different, like, this is technically a car chase, but it's so much different. Yeah, yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think what everything, everything this movie does is just so impressive and deserving of um, um uh, of 
being held in, uh, you know, kind of if you're doing a film hall of fame and you have different rooms for different kind of achievements, this film would have to be... Pyramid. Yeah. To steal Bill Simmons' idea for movies, though. A pyramid. Different levels. That's right. It's not like they don't steal things. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out again, Carms. That's two. (laughs) Um, yeah, I just look. Look, if you like, as we've said before on Tomato Scores, here, just a, it's just an aggregator, and um, and uh, this film was really, really well received. So that's why Rotten Tomato, like a lot of, you know, got a lot of positive reviews and not many bad ones. So Rotten Tomatoes, I think, because people were just so blown away by this film when it came out. Um, I think for a while when it first came out, it actually held at one hundred percent because of the first reviews were saying, and obviously, it just you know, in subsequent years, it just drops a little bit. But nothing is one hundred percent. I like. What movie did we do recently that was 100% on Rotten Tomatoes? Was did we it have one that was 100% or there's one that was like 99? Was it, was yeah, maybe that was yeah. it. I think it, it might have been LA Confidential. No, I don't know. LA Confidential was pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, it was anyway, high up there. Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, no movie's 100%. You could find a problem with every single movie. There's not a flawless film, I guess, is my point. There is one. Wolf Creek? No. I'm <laughs> uh, would you like to know more? Rudy? I was talking about Starship Troopers. Uh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> um, no, yeah, LA Confidential was 99%. So, uh, yeah. That's right. what I, yeah. Because right, LA, LA Confidential, is, all its scores are pretty close to uh, Matt Fury, right? Actually, it's got 8.2 out of 10 on IMDb and 90% Metacritic. It's 89% on Google, so it's like 2% less like the film. I think um, I gave it like 92 or 93, though. So Yeah, I'd have to go you back. Know, I'm, gonna cut, I'm well below the curve, just like high, my high school career and undergrad career. I was well below the curve, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like Fury Road being at 97%, I think is about just about where I put it, you know. And it's, it's the highest rated of the entire Mad Max series, I think, um, I'll just, I'll I wonder why. Oh, because Mel Gibson's not in it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, Matt, the first Mad Max, uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I'm trying to find it now. I think it was it was in the 90s, 90%. Um, Road Warrior, I think it was about 92 or something like that. Um, Beyond Thunderdome, even though this one's a little bit less well received, was still 80%. Um, yeah, surprise. Mad Max Two: The Road Warrior is at ninety three percent. So, because that one is widely held as the most popular of the series, because that was the one that. Um, well, I would hope this is now the most popular. Oh uh, yeah, series. I would say so. Yeah, um, I just mean for longevity, because people have Mad Max Two, uh, like which was called just The Road Warrior in the US, was the film that broke in the US and was big in the US. Like, and then people discovered the first one after that because. Yeah, the first Mad Max, I think I've said to you before, was dubbed in the US originally. It only got the original release of the original soundtrack in the US, like in the 90s, early 2000s. Like, they even dubbed Mel Gibson's voice because they were like, you know, no one's going to understand his Australian accent either. <laughs> yeah. He's come a long way. Yeah. So, Except um, the opposite. <laughs> so, yeah, The Road Warrior was the one that broke broke the series as, as a popular one in. Um, in the US, but yeah, this one I think would have taken over that as as the most popular and re- rewatchable one for me. But you know, people nostalgia is a big thing. If you grew up with, if you were a fifteen year old in nineteen eighty one when Mad Max two came out, I'm sure you probably hold this. And that's just what nostalgia is, because you know, um, yeah, there's people. There's you know, it's crazy. People that 
saw the uh, they grew up and saw the you know Star Wars the Phantom Menace in cinema as their first Star Wars film loved that movie still sometimes it was me yeah yeah Yeah. and whereas you know people that grew up with the original ones think it's one of the worst things that it's ever happened to to cinema but so it's just interesting how nostalgia works that way but yeah for me I guess yeah Yeah, it's like people think Space Jam is still a good film yeah and it's just I don't think it's a good (laughs) film it doesn't mean I don't enjoy it yeah that's right Yeah, Yeah. yeah But I'm a, I'm a we need like I'm a we need to have a like a celebration episode. I don't know when, but it's gonna be like maybe like episode twenty five or like thirty or like around our ages maybe. <laughs> um, about like our biggest movie disagreements, like specialty episode, and then we just like debate it. <laughs> just debate, like yeah, just debate film. Yeah. Um. So Space Jam would be one of them. I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, Star Wars Episode One is the best of the franchise. Yeah, I enjoy it more than probably like I. It's not my favorite, but I enjoy it. Yeah, Episode One, right? That's the one with Jar Jar. Yeah, well, yeah, the one with Liam Neeson. Yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah. 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 And it's nostalgia based, but I think it's the best one. <laughs> Um, see, I like the idea that Jar Jar was a Sith Lord and that George Lucas chickened out on it. <laughs> see, we could just read do, about it. No, I, about I, it. I've definitely read about it. It's just, see, we could just do an episode on Star, like the the prequels and and theories and yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know enough about. I I I, I, before, I, but... I ride hard for the fact that the prequel trilogy is now better than the the sequel one that recently came out. So. Well, yeah, that's what I hear. I just haven't seen any of the new. Yeah, pretty, the like, production quality and the acting in these these ones, were, in the sequels, yeah. were better. But then they fucked up the storyline. The through line was just fucked. Um, I yeah, I also write hard for the fact that the Last Jedi was the most adventurous one, and they just and then J.J. Abrams chickened out in the last one. So yeah, yeah, same with Darth Jar Jar. I mean, it's just <laughs> a, a franchise where they chickened out. <laughs> Whereas, like on this podcast, we celebrate people who take chances. I think we've talked about that over and over again. Yeah, brave filmmaking, Claxon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, like, yeah. I mean, just to placate a bunch of nerds, like just they'll never agree you know. anyway. It's yeah, exactly. I mean, Tarantino has his nerds. Wes Anderson has. I mean, every fan base has its nerds, and yeah. it's like. You can't please all the people all the time, so I think that's the old Abraham probably, Lincoln. probably quite impressive with Mad Max Fury Road is I think that actually I don't, I, you don't hear anyone that's really fucking, uh, you know, losing their shit about Fury Road, fucking up something about the, the mythos of it, so um, yeah. I'm sure there's somebody out there being like, why is the woman the hero? I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, But they don't know how to use computers, so they're not voting on it. <laughs> so it's 97%. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're, they're just like Jay and Silent Bob in the movies, being like, <laughs> cracking the shits. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2 a.m., man. I couldn't think of anything apart from cracking the shits. Uh, 2 a.m. <laughs> I'm really glad we did this one. Uh, it's good to, we hadn't done like a, a film quite like this to be able to talk about, especially stunt work and stuff like that, to really 
really give uh, you know, there's a lot of films we've watched that have had some good action sequences, but one that's actually so adventurous in its action sequences and and qu- and just a technical feat. Um, we hadn't done one quite like this, and it also had a lot of heart to the film and some cool cool themes and subtleties to it. So. Really glad we did this one. I don't know why. I think I was just thinking about it one night, and because I was busy, I was just. This is Shay. This is the one that came to mind. You're like, I'm down. So I appreciate. Yeah, I appreciate I'm always that. down for a wild card film. We've yeah. been doing like a lot of like we've been doing dude movies lately, but we got we got a plan. Yeah, we yeah, plan we got a plan. Forward. I might announce that one next week. Um, once we All right. Yeah, we're there. getting closer to yeah. yeah. But yeah, this so. I guess this one had a had a somewhat of a, a theme theme to it that's going to run into that one. So. Yeah, getting there. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad we did this one. I raised my firehouse stout with cold drip coffee. This is like a. This is just a fucking an eight ball of energy right now. Um, so smart to drink it two a.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really, really thinking this one through. But yeah, I'll raise my <laughs> pint to Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, so yeah, until next week, Shay. We'll have uh, some pints, roll some pints. Pop some corn. Pop some Every corn. Every week. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk some movies next week, Shay. Witness me, Pollywog! <laughs>